Hello, and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We are the show that tries to tackle some tough topics. Today's topic is an interesting one. I guess you could say it's a tough topic, not as tough as some we've had, but certainly interesting. And my guest is Nalan Sawatana Coleman, and she is a researcher. Welcome, Nalan. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Heather. I have to tell our audience that I had to practice your name so often, so... Well, you got it. You got it perfectly this time. Finally, yeah. 75th time is a charm, I guess. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us. And please tell us a little bit. You are a researcher, and you came up with some pretty interesting research, I think. It's kind of based on some previous research, but it's a little bit more comprehensive, I think. And it's about sexist and rape humor. Now, that seems like a strange topic. How did you come to, to arrive at that topic? What's your background, and why did you have an interest in this kind of research? Well, first of all, I did this research while I was an undergraduate at Washington Jefferson College, which is in Washington, PA. And when I was an undergraduate, um, I thought there was an opportunity for me to do a really year-long, a really uh, in-depth project uh, as an independent study. And I had just come out of a very long discussion with one of my best friends from college about the show that he was watching, which was called The Gentleman Offensive. Um, this show aired in 2013 on Comedy Central, and it had a really short because it didn't get good reviews. Uh, and it's not, it's not hard to see why. Uh, on the show, the person, Anthony Jesselnick, who is hosting the show, plays as a sort of caricature of himself. And he's this jerk who tells a lot of extremely offensive humor. And one of his bits is called The Sacred Cow, in which he takes things that are usually not permitted to be joked about in our society and he takes them and he completely just goes to town. Um, so on that show, he often told rape jokes, and I was having this argument, discussion, however you like to call it, with my friend about whether these rape jokes had any sort of impact on the audience. I mean, were the watchers intelligent enough to realize that these are a bad idea, or were they just taking them at face value and laughing? Um, so I wanted to investigate that further. Okay. Well, and you bring up some good points. I mean, those are good questions. I mean, I'm uh, I'm sure a lot older than you, and I remember back in the day that if a woman didn't laugh at that kind of humor, um, we heard how feminists had no sense of humor. You know, that, come on, lighten up. You just have to, have to laugh at yourself. And in reading your research, um, you pointed out uh, about why people do that, um, that there's, in fact, Um, It's not just because we have no sense of humor. It's because there's more to laughing at this kind of humor than just a quick joke, that it in fact impacts not only the, the target of the joke, but also the people who are hearing the joke. And I think you referred to it as four steps. Can you tell us a little bit more about those steps? Yes. So um, in my paper, I refer to that as, um, it's actually a, a theory proposed by Dr. Thomas E. Ford and Dr. Ferguson, and it's called prejudice norm theory. So it states that the mechanism by which humor that disparages any sort of disadvantaged group um, can change the way that people express their attitudes toward that group. So they've done studies on um, jokes about Muslims and other groups that are often marginalized, and of course they did plenty on women. So whenever this 
prejudiced, how this prejudice norm theory applies is when people are telling jokes in a social context. So a person tells the joke, and it's up to the listeners whether or not they activate their humorous, non-critical mindset. So if they just take it as face value, then they activate that non-critical mindset. But if you're someone who, I hate to say the word sensitive because that has kind of a negative connotation here, like you were saying about feminists can't take a joke. Um, But if you are more keen about those kinds of things and the impact that can have, then you won't activate that critical mindset. Now, in the second step, um, people who receive the humor perceive this activation of the humorous mindset as a local norm of tolerance. They assume that whatever they say, whether they laugh at this joke or if they had any other comments to add, it won't be taken seriously in this context. Okay. Because other people will tolerate them. Um, and in the third step, they use people who have accepted this non-critical mindset use that perceived local norm of tolerance to regulate their own tolerance of discrimination. So that means they become even more tolerant of denigrating humor or prejudice statements. And well, and that makes sense. Time. Because mm-hmm. if we're around people who are accepting that, then, you know, I mean, we tend to think, okay, well, then it's more susceptible, it's more acceptable. I'm just being overly sensitive if I'm finding that offensive. Uh, you, you can, I, I think the, the social surroundings, I mean, that, that's logical. The social surroundings would impact how we interpret our own reactions. Yes, certainly. Um, no one wants to feel like the odd person out, and if, especially in a room full of laughing people. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I've been in that situation before, and frankly, I, could, I sometimes feel stupid, like I don't get the joke or something. Um, but yes, in the fourth and final step, um, people's pre-existing prejudice levels, so how sexist they are, how racist they are, interact with the local number of tolerance to alter how they express prejudice. So if you're someone who is already pretty sexist to begin with, and then you perceive that it's okay, to tell sexist jokes in this context, you are going to be extremely likely to tell sexist humor or say sexist things. Whereas if you're someone who's not very sexist, but you still perceive this local normal tolerance, you might just laugh and you might not say anything. Yeah. Well, and it's difficult to be, as you said, the odd man out in a social situation. I mean, how many of us are willing to just stand up and say, I don't think that's funny when everybody else is laughing. Um, you're going to get a lot of social disapproval and you're going to feel really odd, like you don't fit in. Um, so even if you don't find it particularly amusing, you'd probably just shut up and not say anything, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I so take a lot of courage to speak up. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, we display courage. Sometimes we'll think, oh, it's just a joke. I mean, it's not like we, you know, like it's going to change anyone's life. But in fact, there is fallout from this kind of humor on the people who are telling it and in that social group, right? Yes, it's very insidious. Okay. Explain. Explain what you mean by that. So say you're a woman um, who is 
in a room full of people where a sexist joke is being told. And you say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go along with it. I'm not going to raise any complaints. I'll just laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not completely aware of what's going on, if you're not completely aware that, hey, this sexist joke is wrong, I shouldn't be laughing, here's why, if you're just accepting it, then on a deeper or subconscious or unconscious level, you're kind of telling yourself that it's okay for people to talk about women in this way, that it's really just, it's not a big deal. And that can... And that can really um, influence how women perceive themselves. Like, oh, oh, yeah, true that, you know, women are mad cows when they're on their period, for example. It's a common joke that I've heard. Um, And so they buy along into that that myth that women are emotionally unstable when they're menstruating. And then it slowly becomes fact because people like to say, you know, every joke has a grain of truth. Otherwise, we wouldn't be laughing. And so that grain of truth just grows and grows. So it become that grain of truth becomes disproportion, disproportionate to its actual occurrence, um, and it becomes then it it just becomes the stereotype. Yes, exactly. Okay, all right. Um, when you are hearing this in a group and you're not the victim, say that you're another man, but you have, you know, feminist leanings, you have daughters, you have mothers, you you know, and you're not particularly finding that very funny, but everybody else seems to find it funny. Do you then become desensitized to what you find objectionable about it? That's certainly a possibility. Again, you know, it depends on a lot of personal characteristics, like how, um, what, if you're activating a critical mindset or not, whether you're thinking um, about those women in your life who um, would not, you know, take kindly to that joke, or if you're a feminist yourself. But, yes, I would imagine that after being repeatedly exposed to such jokes, and if you don't raise any objections to it, or you don't think about it critically, then you can become desensitized to it. And it's especially difficult for people who are not in the targeted group because they don't have a vested interest in um, stamping down that type of humor. Okay. All right. So is this rampant? I mean, what did you find in your research? What what was the exact scope of your research, and what were your findings? Well, I... I've heard just, you know, scattered accounts uh, of sexist humor being told um, in, you know, mass media. So I mentioned the Justinic Offensive earlier. There's also another comedian named this Tosh.0 um, who had an infamous incident in 2012 of Laugh Factory where he told a series of gang rape jokes. And a female audience member raised the objection, you know, rape jokes are never funny. And then he proceeded to reply to her, with a targeted rape, gang rape joke. Um, after, fortunately, after the fact, he apologized, but I know that I've heard rape jokes among like my acquaintances. Or if not rape jokes, then extremely sexist jokes about women on their periods, about feminists being these complete irrational harpies. 
And I just, I also have heard a lot about rape myths. Um, being that I was in college when I conducted this experiment, you know, talk of rape was rampant and people were spreading all sorts of things like, oh, well, you know, if a girl is wearing a skimpy outfit and she goes to a fraternity party, you know, like, you know, it's kind of her fault that if she gets raped, you know, it's like she pretty much is wearing a science of asking for it. And one of the people who was in my study who I interviewed um, in the post-experimental debriefing actually used the analogy of walking into a lion's den. So if you're a person who's walking, actually in my paper I um, quoted it directly because it was very, very telling. The person who um, made this comment had said that they didn't want to seem like they were sexist or that they bought into rape myths because they weren't. They were a cool person. They cared about women. But, you know, there are two sides to every story. And, you know, she, a woman ought to know what she's in for if she walks into, say, a fraternity party and she's dressed skimpily. And that's pretty much the same as a fully, you know, um, competent human walking into a lion's den. As if, you know, men are completely unable to control themselves. I don't think that's giving men enough credit. Wow. And 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 that's funny? I, 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 why is that funny? I don't see that that's funny. Oh, when he, this person told me um, all of this, it wasn't as a joke. It was more like an explanation. Oh, okay. So I, I guess I, I should backtrack a little bit and talk about what my study actually did. Um, so... There's been a, a lot of research on just sexist humor, not rape humor per se, but sexist humor. And Ford, Thomas E. Ford, is one of the most prominent people in the field of disparagement humor and sexist humor. And he has found that exposing people who are high in sexism to sexist jokes increases the likelihood that they will express some sort of negative behavior towards women. And the way that he's measured that in the past is by um, giving participants a scenario to read and asking, you know, how would they behave in that scenario or how, um, how badly they feel about the person who is being victimized in that scenario. And also um, Ford has done some other studies where he's solicited fake donations to a feminist organization after exposing people to these jokes, and he found that people who are high in sexism and who have listened to these jokes uh, will offer much, much less to the feminist organization than if they were low in sexism or didn't hear the jokes. Hmm. So I wanted to test this um, with men and women, because so far only men have been tested because it's assumed that, you know, this has no effect on women because women are too savvy, you know, they're, they're vested in this, so of course they wouldn't find it funny. It wouldn't affect them. So I wanted uh-huh. to see if that was actually true, because... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> but mm, I, I, I can understand why you wanted to test that, and it's interesting to me that that was the assumption, but okay. <laughs> and I also wanted to test um, rape humor specifically because I was um, kind of set off by the whole definitely like offensive discussion that I was having with my friends, um, whether rape jokes had especially pernicious effects 
um, on Ramus acceptance. And I also wanted to test uh, a few other things. Um, one, most of the research is focused on attitudes, people's attitudes or people's behavior after listening to the joke. So they don't measure it beforehand. So you can't do a proper comparison. You can assume that you know, groups will be approximately equal in the distribution of sexism. But I wanted to properly test that and see if, you know, do a post-test, pre-test kind of okay. comparison. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I did the experiment in person. And it was quite elaborate. It involved uh, a decent degree of deception. So I made the pretest, which you know, uh, it measured people's attitudes towards sexism using a bunch of validated inventories. I also tossed in a bunch of made-up questions so that people couldn't quite suss out what it was about. So I included um, items about you know, attitudes towards immigrants, attitudes towards uh, people of different ethnicities, and also just some questions about how people like to behave in college, just as a distractor. And I told people that this was a completely separate study from um, my own study, and that it was actually given to me by my advisor, and she wanted me to run it for her because she was collecting data. And it was, I told them that was optional. Um, but actually, most people agreed to, to take that free test even though I told them it was optional. So that was a nice surprise. And then they proceeded on to my study afterwards in which um, they were told that it was about measuring the uh, correlation between uh, political leanings and humor appreciation. Okay. So okay. I, at that point, I split the uh, participants into four different groups, and each group received a set of jokes. So one group received jokes that were sexist but contained no sexual content. And so these were the gender stereotype jokes um, that just contained stereotypes about women that weren't sexual in nature, such as, you know, women like to do domestic things. They like to do the laundry. They like to fold clothes. And then the second group was jokes that were sexual but not sexist. So I called these the ribald jokes. I mean, they were body jokes that involved sex, but they weren't targeting women or men in any particular way. And then there was the group that had neither sexist nor sexual jokes, and that was the racial group, racial joke group. So these were essentially racist jokes. Um, and then the fourth group was the rape joke group, which was both sexist and sexual in content. Okay. So they targeted women and they joked about rape. Um, and all four of these groups, I also had three just distractor jokes that were completely neutral, completely inoffensive, um, just so that people wouldn't get too hung up on the jokes and suss out the true intents of the study. And then after they listened to these jokes, um, they filled out another questionnaire that was very similar to what I had in the pretest, but it was just it was just the second half. And again, there were a bunch of questions mixed in to distract them from the true purpose of the study. And um, after that, they were told that uh, I could I would on their behalf I would donate two dollars to an organization of their choosing. 
so I had a list of many different organizations, and there were two in particular that I was looking at, which were the R A I N. So that's the um, the Rape Hotline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had uh, people from Rain on the show, so it's a, a um, organization that um, works to. Um, um, uh, help uh, situations in rape and rape understanding and all that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. So that was one of the target groups. Another one was Now, which is um, a feminist organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were also other groups in there, like the NAACP. Wait, wait, that's a sports organization. Um, the NAACP. Okay. Um, and also Wounded Warrior Project, which is very popular because it has no particular political affiliation. Mm-hmm. And then um, a couple other groups, like a, a group for immigrants' rights. So people could choose from this list which organization I would donate $2 on their behalf to, and the head of the psychology department at my college was kind enough to agree to donate this money. So after the study was completed, the money was donated to these organizations. And that was my behavioral measure. That was my way of seeing, like, it was a proxy of how would you behave toward a woman. It's a very indirect proxy, but um, that that was a limitation. And then after that, I took them aside one by one and did a funnel debriefing, which is when you slowly reveal to the participant you were doing the experiment and you try to guide the participant to the conclusion without telling them outright, hey, I deceived you or hey, this was about this. And this is also um, the opportunity when there, where I could give them information about resources if they needed any. Because at the outset, I did provide a trigger warning just in case, you know, there are people who are um, survivors of sexual assault or anything. Um, sure. that there might be sensitive material. So afterward, I also presented them with that information again just in case they needed anything. And um, I revealed to them, and most of the people, actually no one suspected what the study was about exactly. They didn't think that it was about the effect of the jokes or the jokes per se. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that's the context for... Um, my findings, which I will proceed to talk about, if um, that's all right with you. I've kind of lost track of the original question. Okay. Well, so you you gave okay. So we kind of understand the format of your of your study. What? How many people were in the study? Oh, okay. Um, there were originally a lot. Uh, by a lot, I mean a lot for such a small liberal arts college. Um, originally, I had. 120-some participants, but then some of them had to be excluded from analyses because they didn't complete the pretest, the post-test, or they provided invalid responses. Okay. So in the end, I had um, 113. Okay. All right. All right. And so um, what did you find? Okay. Well, I, I found that, surprisingly, or I, what I thought was surprising. Um, most of the participants didn't find any of the jokes funny at all. 
Oh, really? I did have a joke reader on there. Um, and I did pre-test these jokes with a group of junior and senior psychology majors who were not included in the actual experiment because they would be too uh, suspicious about the true purpose of the study. But I tried to find, you know, I, I used jokes that were somewhat rated as somewhat funny, but not, you know, too funny. And people said, people actually thought that most of the jokes were pretty bad. And I got a lot of comments that um, were actually pretty offensive in themselves. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, about uh, the the delivery of the jokes. And um, <laughs> I, I, I personally found them very humorous, but I don't think they're repeatable on the air. <laughs> um, in any case, in any case, um, I guess the first thing that surprised me was that there wasn't really a significant effect of jokes on donating behavior. After the fact, you know, I discussed this with my um, advisor and one of my other psychology professors, and we realized that a lot of the organizations that were on the list were really politically affiliated. Like now, for example, has been known to support abortion rights mm -hmm. and also liberal um, candidates. So that could be a reason why people didn't want to choose it because um, now got very few donations. Wounded Warrior Project by far got the most donations. Mm -hmm. And um, Rain got some, but not a whole lot. So I couldn't, I was not able to find a real association between what jokes people listen to, and how they donated. And I didn't find a relationship either between how sexist people were, which was assessed by the pretest, um, and which organization they donated to. Do you think that was skewed because of the population that you were using for your sample? Because, um, you know, I mean, oftentimes research is done using college students because they're readily available. But in yep, fact, <laughs> perhaps college students uh, react differently than, say, 45-year-old people who are working in an office. That's entirely possible. I know that there's a lot of um, media coverage for Wounded Warrior Project. So, you know, college students being as media, uh, being the big media consumers that they are, probably more familiar with that, and familiarity alone could have accounted for the increased popularity of donating to that organization. Um, then again, you know, college students also are characterized as these people who are very in touch with um, social justice issues. So they actually might be even more likely than people, say, in their 30s or 40s to be, fam to be familiar with um, now or RAIN, especially since we have a lot of workshops that deal with um, domestic abuse and sexual abuse. Yeah. So what is the basic outcome of your study? How did it, it increase our understanding of sexist and rape humor? Okay, well, first of all, I... I did do an analysis that looked at whether attitudes towards women changed over time. And it was only after a couple revisions um, for submission to the journal that I realized that the way I had gone about measuring attitudes towards women was not conducive to a pre-test, post-test 
type of comparison. So I ended up having to drop that entirely. <laughs> um, but I was able to look at the effects of on rate myth acceptance. Okay. And what did you find in that? So there was a significant interaction between sexist joke content, how sexist people were beforehand at the outset, and their gender. Um, so for women, they were actually, women who were high in hostile sexism to begin with, were actually, um, like their rate misacceptance increased if they listened to non-sexist jokes, which is a very, very strange finding. So not, it was only marginally significant. I'm sorry? Say, say that again, because um, I'm, I'm, I want to understand what you, what you were saying. So. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Um, so women who were already high in sexism to begin with increased their rate myth acceptance more if they had listened to jokes that had no sex content. Okay. Which was right. which is absolutely surprising, though the you know, the effect was was marginally insignificant, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, however, for men, among men who were high in hostile sexism, which is I can discuss that later. There's there are multiple types of sexism. There was actually, I mean, this is as predicted. They had an increase in rate myth acceptance if they were highly sexist to begin with. Okay, and that makes among, sense. And and then among both men and women who were low in hostile sexism, there was no really any significant effect of the sexist jokes. So they were okay. rather similar in their rate myth Okay. All right. So what have what what's your conclusion? What did you um did, did the information that you came up with coordinate and, and complement other research that's been done in this area or what well up until the study was performed, which was in the spring of 2015, um, there had not been really much published literature on rate myth acceptance as a result of listening to sexist jokes. And prior to that point, there had been no studies on rape humor in particular. So this, I mean, well, first of all, this adds the findings. I mean, it, it, it does, it's consistent with the idea that if you're high in sexism and you listen to sexist jokes, your overall hostility towards women will increase because you, I mean, any anyone can be a target of rape. So men, women, whoever. But more often than not, it's women. So it's almost like men who listen to sexist jokes became more accepting of stereotypes about a particular subset of women, and that is rape victims. Okay. All right. So in that so, in that sense, it does um, it does match up with previous findings. Okay. So what does that mean for us today, out in the real world? What what does that mean? Um, 
are we too sensitive to that or are we not? And if we are too sensitive to rape and and sexist humor, what what are we supposed to do about it? Well, a lot of that is uh <laughs> is that for for philosopher or policymaker to decide, but I think that just based on this research and the past research that has been performed, I I think that we need to take it more seriously. I mean, there is a place there is a place for jokes about rape. Um, there are some comedians who can do it well. Wanda Sykes, for example, has this really hilarious detachable vagina um, stand-up routine from. 2013, um, in which she talks about what if women had detachable vaginas? They could just, if they were going to go on a run in the evening and they were afraid of being attacked, they could just leave it in their house in a shoebox. And if they were approached, they could just say, I'm sorry, you know, I don't have it. I don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Try next door. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so well, joking about it in that manner, I think, is constructive, or at least it's not destructive. <laughs> but I think that we need to call out people who tell sexist jokes, or especially rape jokes, um, more. And it's not it's not a laughing matter. It's not something that we should just say, you know, leave our head down and be like, okay, fine, we're gonna say it. I don't wanna challenge them. I think that it's important to challenge them, even if people who challenge these joke tellers do face a lot of flack and are told, you know, you know, quit being so sensitive, you know, it's just a joke, can't you take a joke? Yeah. Well, yeah, and we hear that a lot um, whenever we object to any kind of humor. Um, What about, you know, you and I talked off the air about a joke that I I do a lot of public speaking on domestic violence and and I actually told a joke uh, among a group of men to kind of get their attention and I guess it wasn't the worst joke in the world but nevertheless it was a joke about domestic violence and I it's plagued on me did I like sell out by trying to tell this joke so that I could get these people's attention or you know uh, is is it ever appropriate to use this kind of humor I, I am thinking of the joke, particular joke that you were telling me off the air about. And I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking about that these past couple of days and wondering just is that kind of humor ever acceptable? And I think in certain circumstances it is. Um, oh, goody, I got a pass. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that in, your, in the particular situation that you were telling it, you were using it to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. And I guess it almost seems like it was to be like, hey, you know, I can take a joke. I yeah. am not this stiff person. Um, and it kind of uh, endeared them to you so that they would be more inclined to listen what you had to say next. Which isn't yeah, to I say, of course, that we should all just... It, it was oh, a sorry. demographic that was used to that kind of humor and um, probably didn't think a whole lot of thoughts when they heard the, that kind of humor. And so, yeah, you know, I made the choice to use it, but it, it it's always kind of bothered me that I did that. So um, I, I appreciate your thoughts on it because, uh, you know, I, 
I don't, you know, I mean, you do what you can do to get people's attention and to get them to seriously listen to something, and maybe sometimes that means that you, uh, you know, tell a joke that you don't necessarily think is, you know, um, uh, free of any um, sexism or whatever. But um, interest, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it, how we have to evaluate these kinds of things? I, I think it's interesting. Anyway, yes, okay. That's yeah, so, you know, kind of the the question is, is that, you know, is it ever appropriate? And what I'm hearing you say is that based on your knowledge and based on the research that you've used, it can be, as if not necessarily appropriate, certainly useful. Yeah. Because I, I know from personal experience when I was younger that I told a lot of sexist and racist jokes, racist towards Asian <laughs> jokes. Um, as a sort of way to buy entry into groups of guys that I wanted to hang out with, you know, friend groups, or a lot of my friends tend to be white. So by telling these jokes, it was like saying, hey, you know, I'm one of you. I don't, I'm not offended. And I have misgivings about having done that as well. But again, you know, it's not a complete black or white situation um, yeah. telling yeah. these jokes. When you do it purely for laughs or just as a way of, like, jabbing at someone mm-hmm. or, 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 or as a way of enhancing yourself, I think that that's when you definitely run into trouble. But there are other gray areas, like the scenario that you mentioned where you told that joke, um, yeah. that I think it could be construed as acceptable. Um, so when we use humor, when we when we're telling these jokes, are we telling it to reinforce stereotypes and thereby keep people in their place? Are we using it to elevate ourselves? Say, um, you know, because I think we use humor like that a lot. See how bright I am because I can see the humor in this situation where the character that I'm telling the joke about or the group that I'm telling the joke about couldn't see what was funny about this. So therefore I'm elevated, I'm brighter, I'm more observant, I'm more, you know, whatever. Um, why do we tell these kinds of, of jokes? What, what purpose do they serve for the, the teller? Oh, I think all of those functions that you just mentioned are, are things that are reasons that we tell these jokes. Um, I think there's also the telling the joke just to kind of break the ice. Um, whenever there's a lot of tension between people, the easiest way to dissolve that tension is to laugh. That's true. And also I think that some certain jokes, if they're, you know, they're targeted toward, not necessarily like a derogatory joke, but if they're just targeted toward a certain audience, say, science nerds, <laughs> and only science nerds would get this joke. Um, then it's a way of establishing like an in-group alliance and saying, like, hey, we can act on this level. We both understand this really obscure joke about chemistry. <laughs> okay. So we use the humor to uh, identify as part of a group, and we can use that to also say, see, I'm... I, I, you know, we in this group, in this room, are um, wiser or whatever than the people we're telling the joke about. So it's a way of not only, not necessarily intended to put down the other group, but it's more to elevate ourselves and to make ourselves feel that we are part of the in-group, so to speak. Does that make sense? 
Yes, yes, I I agree with that. Okay, all right. So, <laughs> how is it that sexist and rape humor is different? from coming right out and saying things that are blatantly sexist or racist or whatever. Uh, Does somehow the notion that it's supposed to be a joke um, ease the notion that it's a hurtful statement? Uh, Why why humor is oftentimes acceptable to say things that it wouldn't be acceptable to just come right out and say? That's an excellent question. Um, so there has been research done, performed on the difference between sexist humor and sexist statements. And so, again, Ford was at the forefront, Dr. Ford was at the forefront of this research, and he found over three studies that sexist statements and neutral jokes, that means jokes that did not pertain to sexism whatsoever, Mm-hmm. had the same effect on people's attitudes towards women. Um, but sexist humor had a distinctly negative effect on people's attitudes towards women. And that's because whenever you just like, you, whenever you just come out and say something that's very sexist, it's a, it, it sounds like a statement of fact. And people know that they're not supposed to find that kind of thing acceptable. Um, people are aware of this whole culture of being politically correct, especially if you're in a place like the workplace or in a classroom, then you're even more inclined to feel that, you know, no, this isn't the appropriate place for that. Um, you can't be saying these things that were, that some of that many of us are thinking. Um, but, and yet they are. Um, but whenever you tell sexist joke, you can kind of maneuver past that um, because it's just there's the implication that you're not being serious. It's just on one hand, hey, this is kind of ridiculous, right? Okay. All right. So we kind of get a pass in appropriate behavior if we're doing it under the pretext of telling a joke. Yes. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I can understand that. So what should we do if we are in a a social situation and sexist or rape humor comes up? We started our other conversation talking about how difficult it is to just stand back and say something um, within a social grouping. Um, it's, It's tough. It's tough to do that. What do we do if we're in a social setting and suddenly somebody starts talking or telling these these sexist jokes and we don't like them? What's the appropriate thing to do? I mean, do you knowing me, I'm such a non-confrontational person, I would probably just, you know, walk into a different room and go away. Um, but that's not necessarily the most effective way to to deal with that. What what would you recommend? For people who are, you know, looking in, in looking at those kinds of social situations and going, okay, I'm really uncomfortable with this. What do I do? I like to think that kind of deconstructing the joke is the way to go about it. So explain in very plain, objective terms what 
why it's humorous. Like, think like a scientist or some sort of literary analyst who's just deconstructing a joke and saying, oh, so you all think that women are X, and that's why you're laughing. And then, of course, there's going to become there's, there's going to come you know some sort of reply like, oh no, it's just a joke. Yeah, laugh, you know, don't be so serious. Yeah, yeah, lighten up. You know, we all we all hear that, don't we? Just lighten up, for heaven's sake. It's just a story. It's just a joke. Um, and the fact is, it is important to laugh at ourselves. Um, so is there a fine line? Between? Between what we find acceptable and what we need to just look at and laugh at ourselves. I mean, I'm an older woman. I hear all sorts of jokes all the time about older women. And the fact is, some of them, <laughs> yeah, some of them I see, you know. Um, so should I just relax a little bit and start laughing at the ones that I feel are legitimate and legitimate commentary? And the thing that I see as well, I'm more likely to laugh at a joke that my friends and I tell about getting older, um, you know, the pesky chin hairs that are growing or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm more likely to laugh at that if I'm with my women friends than I am if I'm in a mixed group or if a man says that. I take offense at it if a man is saying that. So maybe I am. Uh, maybe I do need to just lighten up. If it's funny when a woman says it, why isn't it funny when a man says it? Well, it's a little different when the person telling the joke is in the same group as you are. Because um, generally, if, if, if you're friends, then you know each other's senses of humor and you know how well they understand being part of that group. So if you're all part of that group, I think it's acceptable to tell humor that that resonates with you, that you know you find very truthful, but that isn't necessarily like derogatory or disparaging. Um, so I know that I sometimes joke with my Asian friends about things that are particular to having Asian parents or things that, you know, we eat, or even even the way that we look. Um, but these are all people I know who had the same experience that I did, and we're laughing at it because we've all experienced it firsthand. Whereas a person, say for a man who is telling a sexist joke that is sexist towards women, he has not experienced that what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to be in that scenario. So it's not his province to talk about it. Okay. So we have to own our own humor. Yes. Okay. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. You know, it's one thing to laugh at yourself. It's a different thing when somebody else laughs at you. Yes, definitely. And I know that there's that saying that, you know, because I belong to X, X group, it's okay for me to tell an X joke. And I think that's true, but you have to be careful. Like like, like you were saying, you have to own your own humor. So if you're to tell that joke in a mixed group of people who, you know, some of which may not be your friends, some of which may not belong to the group that you're joking about, then you have to be aware that such humor could have um, a negative impact. Hmm. Okay. So then that brings us to a whole other show, which is how sensitive are we required to be 
about other people. Yes, that that is an excellent question and one that continues to be very hotly debated. You're right, that would make up an entire show. Um, Because I know that there's that controversy about safe spaces and you, Chicago, wrote that open letter about, you know, there will be no trigger warnings here. Um, Yes. So we're going to have some safely be. You have to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How sensitive are we required to be? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to put that in my tickler file. Maybe we can find somebody to address that <laughs> issue. Um, because really, I mean, what is what? How much am I supposed to change, accommodate, uh, project? How much of that am I required to do to just be an ordinary, nice person? I don't know. I think though that to kind of go full circle, it wouldn't take a lot of accommodation to assume that sexual harassment or um, rape humor, I mean, to me that's an oxymoron, rape humor. I mean, what's funny about rape? (laughs) You know, I mean, I was going to say it's kind of like saying, you know, heart attack humor, but I guess people do make heart attack humor jokes all the time, you know, I mean, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I guess, yeah, no, that that does does bring to mind one point, and that People who have been people who are survivors of sexual assault or rape, I think, have every right to joke about it in their own way. Um, because often, I know that coming from the field of psychology, that's part of the recovery process is being able to laugh about it. But only if it's happened to you, and you're using it as a way to kind of cope with the after effects. Yeah, because humor is a great way to cope. I mean, we need to laugh as much as we possibly can. Um, but as as we said before, it, it needs to be humor that we own. It needs to be humor that is our own humor um, and not coming from a, a third party, I think. Maybe that's the whole secret to it is that we need to uh, look at our own humor, own our own humor, and use our own humor for ourselves but not for or against someone else. Boy, that's touchy-feely. You can write that. (laughs) (laughs) Call the Hallmark Channel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whoa, I get deep sometimes. (laughs) And you have to make sure you don't take yourself too seriously, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting. So, what's in the future? Are you going to do any more follow-up studies on this? Are you going to keep pursuing this particular avenue in your research, or are you going to go in a totally different direction? I would really like to. I want to do more studies about all sorts of um, prejudices and stereotypes. That's what I'm really interested in. Um, as of right now, I am a lab manager at um, CMU, so I'm actually working in a interdisciplinary lab that does a lot of work with cognitive psychology. So um, not actually none of it so far has been related to prejudice per se. Um, I do have an upcoming manuscript that's about uh, partisanship, political partisanship. But ideally I would like to, um, I'm planning to apply either this year or next year to graduate school for a PhD program. And I want to do some sort of either social decision sciences or um, social psychology and focus on prejudice and how we can mitigate it. Because to some extent, prejudice is built into us. It's just a 
nifty little heuristic that helped our ancestors um, survive. But in today's world, it's really maladaptive. Yeah. And I just want to see how we can, we can um, best mitigate that. Very interesting. One of the ob- other observations that I wanted to throw in in our discussion, and I couldn't really figure out where, is that when groups of women get together, we laugh hysterically about our husbands, our boyfriends. We make all sorts of jokes, and we're not always nice. We are not always sensitive to their experiences. And I think that you know, during this whole conversation, again, I had a little guilty twinge because I thought, how many times have I just laughed hysterically about, you know, I mean, I always make the joke about, you know, you know how all babies start out with double X chromosome and then somewhere along the line that <laughs> one X turns into a Y. And I always say that there's very important information that was in that leg of that X that got reabsorbed, things like picking up and looking under things like putting the toilet seat down, that's all genetic. And, you know, answering the telephone, even if your your spouse has, you know, is up to her elbows in the dishwasher, in dishwater, you know. I mean, so I always make jokes about that. I would always tell my husband, you know, that's okay. I understand it's a, it's a genetic issue. You can't ask, just go answer the phone. You know, I, I understand that. It's It's genetic. My husband didn't share my sense of humor about that. But here I am making sexist humor, right? Well, yes. Okay, so that's interesting that you bring that up because when I was doing the literature review for my research, I actually did find some articles that pertain to telling telling disparaging jokes about a group that is not marginalized, a group that is in power. So there was a study that um, told jokes about lawyers who are, you know, Certainly, oh, and we love lawyer jokes. Everybody oh, yeah, we love lawyer jokes. jokes. Everyone loves lawyer jokes. <laughs> Even lawyers love um, lawyer jokes. <laughs> and also, there was another study that told jokes about men, and they had, you know, these stereotypes about men that they're lazy, that they're not good at housework, um, things like that. And then they they uh, examined people's attitudes towards men after the jokes were told. And between groups, you know, groups that were told these, quote, sexist jokes, and those who didn't, there was no significant difference. Um, oh, so, so that's it different. Appear, yeah, so it's different. So whenever the, the target in question belongs to a group that has power, um, then telling jokes about that group doesn't really accomplish much um, from so a negative standpoint. So I can't like, so my, my husband jokes with impunity, is what you're saying. You're giving me permission. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, of course, that's, that's between you and your spouse. <laughs> I mean, if he, if he, if he finds it horribly um, distressing, then, <laughs> then yeah. But I mean, because I, I do think that one good point that that I have heard men um, and some, you know, people who identify as men's rights activists um, is that men are often survivors of sexual abuse and rape, and we don't take that seriously. And I mean, some of us don't take that seriously. We even joke about it, like, you raped? Ha, ha, ha. Or, you know, you must be such a manly man if that happens to you, which is terrible. So 
there are ways in which certain groups of men can be marginalized. For example, uh, men of color, men who are survivors of sexual assault, and so on. But just men as a class um, in our in our society possess a lot of power, whether or not you know people agree about that. Um, and that kind of makes them immune to the negative effects of disparagement humor. Huh. Very interesting. Well, I really, I'm looking at our clock and I'm going, no, no, we're really, really, are, we're coming to the end? I guess we are. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I had so many jokes I had prepared to tell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, we actually had a show a few months ago uh, with professional comedians, women comedians. Oh, really? About, yeah, talking about women's humor and how it's different and how being a comedian is different if you're a female. Um, and that was kind of uh, of interesting, um, you know, a, an interesting topic to me anyway. So I appreciate your time. I hope you get a chance to follow up on this research and come up with more things um, that would be of interest and, and have to do with uh, humor and our reactions to it and the implications of humor. I think that's what we don't often think about is those implications because people cannot interact, people cannot say things to each other, whether it's humorous or not, without there being some fallout, some implication, something happening uh, down the road. I think a lot of times because we enjoy laughing, we forget that humor is also a way to communicate, and it also has implications. So I appreciate your research. And did we uh, miss anything? Did I not ask you anything about your research or about this topic that you wanted to throw in quickly? Uh, I, I'm i sure there's something, but uh, none that, <laughs> nothing that comes to mind right now. Uh, you know, after being knee-deep in this, if not elbow-deep in this, for a while. Um, it yeah. all starts to blend yeah. together. <laughs> okay. Well, the only thing that I you know, want to leave people with is, really seriously, I cannot imagine rape humor. I mean, I just can't. I can't imagine what it would be. I can't imagine, no matter who the target is, whether male, female, whatever, I it, it just can't possibly be funny, and I know you said the Wanda Sykes thing, and that's really not about rape humor. That's more about vulnerability, I think. Um, but I just, I mean, rape humor to me is just such an oxymoron. So um, my my only thought throughout all of this is, you know, let's 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 not pretend there is such a thing as rape humor. If it's about rape, it's not funny, um, in, in my view. That's that's what I'm leaving you with. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I appreciate coming pa- coming on the show with us. I really look forward to seeing more more research that you come up with, and stay in touch with us. Okay, thank you for joining us on Three Women Three Ways. Join us again next week.